Hello and welcome back. This episode of the Black Doctors Podcast is hosted by Dr. James Stewart. He is currently a general surgery resident. He sits down with Dr. Shakira Burton, who is also a general surgery resident at PGY4, and they sit down and talk about different gyms for current medical students applying to residency, as well as current residents on how you can do well under standardized exams, the significance of performing well on step one, even though it is pass-fail. They also talk about success in residency and how you make the transition from becoming an intern and junior resident on to a senior resident and how that growth occurs. They catch up and talk about the Student National Medical Association and all the benefits that they've been able to uh, see over the course of their careers from being involved in this organization. I really liked editing this episode because I got to just sit in and listen to two young black general surgery residents talk about their life experiences and and just parlay back and forth. So hope you enjoyed listening as well. This podcast is sponsored by Picmonic. In 2011, two medical students came up with the ingenious idea to combine medical education with unforgettable characters and ridiculously memorable stories. Featuring over 35,000 high-yield facts and graphics, Picmonic has helped over 600,000 students improve exam scores and perform better clinically. Picmonic has resources for pre-med and medical students, as well as other healthcare professions. Check out the show notes for a link to their website. Mention the podcast when you subscribe. With Picmonic, you can study less, but remember more. Hello, I'm Stephen, host of the Black Doctors Podcast, here to talk about Clove. Clove is a sneaker specifically designed to meet the needs of healthcare professionals. I have a pair and I love how comfortable these shoes are, especially since I'm on my feet all day as an anesthesiologist. These shoes are perfect for the operating room because they are extra grippy and super easy to wipe clean at the end of the day. Purchase any pair of clove shoes and compression socks at checkout. Use the code BDPXCLOVE to get your socks for free. A $22 discount just by listening to the show. The Black Doctors Podcast highlights the stories of minority professionals with the goal of inspiring others. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others because the next generation can't be what they don't see. Tune in every Monday to hear our stories told by Hello, us. everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Black Doctors Podcast. I'm James, your host for this episode. And today I'm joined by somebody very special, uh, Dr. Burton. She's a current general surgery resident at Atrium Health, and she's an alum of Drexel University College of Medicine. And she's done some incredible work throughout her journey, some of which we'll hear about today. Uh, so glad to have you here and welcome, Dr. Burton. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I love the thought of this podcast and everything. So I look look forward to being on the show today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so just to start off, just tell us a little bit about you know who you are and kind of what made you want to become a doctor and then subsequently choose the best specialty in medicine as we both know surgery. Obviously. <laughs> so I am a fourth year, like you mentioned, at currently at Carolina's Medical Center in Charlotte, North Carolina. And, um, you know, I'm originally from the Bronx, New York. And people tell me that when I was younger, I often would say I wanted to become a doctor. But it's interesting, I think, just some of the paths that I've, that's led me to be where I am now kind of all worked its way to me becoming a doctor and then overall becoming a general surgery resident. I remember being in a program, uh, it was called 
Project Healthcare. It was actually at Bellevue Hospital yeah. in New York. Mm -hmm. And it was an amazing program where you would go and you can actually rotate in various departments of medicine. So we were in the emergency department, we were in the cath lab, we were in the operating room, we worked with social work. We also did a little bit of research as well. And I remember just saying, I, I at that time loved the emergency department and really thought that was something that I wanted to do and pursue. And so I went on to college. I went to Spelman College in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh -huh. <laughs> and from there, it was really seeing so many amazing young black women yeah. just saying, you know, I'm going to be a doctor or I'm going to be a lawyer or I can do this and I can do that. And I was like, wow, we we really can do all these things. And then mm -hmm. meeting, I'm I'm a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. And so meeting out. some, yep. a shout out, you know, <laughs> Uh, so meeting some of my profiles too that were like doctors and in residency and doing all this, I was like, wow, this is something that is really can be obtainable. And so I did another program um, during my second year, I think it was my sophomore year. And in that program, we got to be very involved also going into the a psych, the psych ward and everything like that. Cause at that time I was a psychology major at Spelman and I remember being like, okay, the psych part is just not for me. And then I kind of got back on the bandwagon of thinking, you know, I wanted to go into medicine. So I did have to take uh, some prereqs. I started taking there, but then I did go to American university in DC mm -hmm. to do a post back just to get some other of the prereqs going. And I did graduate from Drexel, but I actually started off and an amazing program, and I'm thankful for my line sister for one telling me about the program, and she applied with me during that time. But uh, Drexel Pathway to Medical School program. Oh yeah, yeah. okay. Yes, yes. Uh, that uh, I don't. I wonder if I'd be here right now if it wasn't for that program. Wow. But it's essentially a year program where you take first first year classes, medical school first year classes. I was taking micro, we took biochem, wow. um, we took anatomy, and you would have to get a certain GPA. I think when I was there, I think it was a 3.5, I believe. Uh, you had to get a 3.5 in the courses, and then one track had it so that you had to retake the MCAT, and another track had it so that you just took more classes, essentially. And oh, as long as you got the GPA, like there was no other stipulations, nothing else. You get the GPA and you get the appropriate MCAT if you have to retake. And you get a spot in the, in the class for the yeah, next year. Wow. So that program was a blessing, literally heaven sent. Um, and I loved Drexel. It was a great foundation. It was a great community. Mm -hmm. um, you come in, especially when you have your friends and everything from the DPMS program, and then you all start med school together. You've already taken the classes. So I didn't have a crazy, stressful uh, first year of med school. And in fact, I was tutoring people. You already used to the curriculum. Because I already took the classes, literally exactly. the same classes, exactly. the same tests, like they don't change yeah. that stuff over. So it was actually a great start to medical school. And yeah, the four years, like I said, I was a uh, student national medical association was a huge part of my four years. I was the regional director. Um, what was it from 2016 to 2018? Yep. And I'm also blessed for that organization as well. Wow. That, that's actually incredible. And you, you mentioned several kind of uh, programs that you were involved yeah. in throughout your journey. And you know, one question that, you know, I, I tend to ask people is like, what is, I guess, one important thing you would tell somebody who may not have access to these resources or opportunities? You know, we always 
are focused on these pipelines and these uh, programs to kind of increase diversity in medicine. I guess, what is the one thing you would say to somebody, whether it be get involved or find mentors or like, what would your suggestion be? I, you know, I think starting with what hopefully a lot of us can be able to get is just simply Googling and yeah, research yeah. because mm-hmm. I found, and I, I don't want to misspeak, but I, and I wish I knew the website. It was like the AMCAS website, essentially. But there's yeah. a whole different mm-hmm. website part that has like post-back programs. And mm-hmm. it even goes down into the details saying like, do you need a program to improve your grades? Like if you're mm-hmm. someone that in college you had C's or maybe D's and you have to, you know, you want to redo those courseworks to get a better GPA. They wow. have like certain programs based solely for that. Are you someone that needs a program with an MCAT course? Are you someone that just mm-hmm. hasn't ever taken those prerequisites prerequisites and are now trying to do so. So I found that website. And then from there, that's when I learned about, you know, not only my line sister telling me, but that was on there. And then I applied to like Georgetown gyms and I applied Mm -hmm. to, there's one that my profile told me about because she actually completed it at Ohio State. Um, Yeah, they have one too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They have one. You have to actually apply to their medical school. I don't know if it's still this way. It's now been, you know, several years. But I remember with that one, though, you had to apply like throughout the cycle. And then they kind of like, you know, you're maybe not ready for starting med school at that time. Then they offer up that program um, to you. So there's there's a lot out there. And so I think just simply going online and typing in exactly what you need, like Mm -hmm. need need to complete coursework for medical school, but you already have your bachelor's or, you know, even your associates. It's something out there for everyone to cater to them on what they need to to be successful and get there. And so I think from there and then potentially it's amazing how these programs are actually very helpful. And when you reach out to them, Mm -hmm. you have other questions, you know, like the secretaries and people that do answer these phones. You know, I do remember during my process, you know, trying to hear back from people. I would be calling, calling these offices asking questions, you know, you gotta, you have to be hungry. You got to put yourself out there. So I definitely would recommend that. And I think that would be very successful. So those programs are very helpful and I would do it again. I'm glad I did. You know, I wonder if, did I need to do American university or I should have probably, it would have been great to do more of a linkage linkage program. Cause now even looking back and doing more research since then, there's programs like mine at American university, but we're, they're not associated with a medical school. So it's like not a feeder to, exactly. exactly. Like, exactly. You, you know, exactly. Yeah. So you know, there are some out there take the coursework awesome. and then get fed in, which is even better. You know, it's less, less exactly. Exactly. You know, it's interesting. You, it sounds funny that you, you, your suggestion is like Google, you know, and it's, I talk about that a lot. It's a lot of people don't know that, you know, a lot of this information is out online and, you know, just even emailing people, sending that email, the worst thing people can say is no. Yep. Yeah, exactly. You have to reach out to people. You know, I think that's one thing that I try to, you know, reiterate to people as well. So it's interesting to hear you say that. And, you know, kind of piggybacking off of that, you know, you are a people's person. I know you like you are very uh, extroverted. You talk to people. But what are some tips I guess you can give people for networking, especially if they're a little bit on the shyer end or, you know, they may not uh, be as vocal about this type of stuff? Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. I think, you know, listening to podcasts like this for certain advice and um, 
What I think works too is depending on the environment for networking, like if this is in person or at a certain event, if you do Mm. know who's going to be there or what programs are going to be there or people, you know, definitely doing the research prior to, you know, Mm -hmm. I think setting yourself up for success, walking into a place knowing, oh, there's going to be Dr. So-and-so there or, you know, uh, Caroline's Medical Center is going to be there. So I know I have some questions about their curriculum in this sense or that sense. So Mm -hmm. I think that takes off some of the pressure and then it also from there can help build on questions and topics and things to talk about so you're not just you know there in the environment you're like hi and it's hi and it feels awkward feels weird it's like oh i saw i saw i found a paper that you wrote you know so exactly. yep, yep. <laughs> you know like super impressed like oh hi like, i actually found a paper that you wrote you know on uh pubmed and was just wondering about this i can't imagine how one that person would be rememberable and mm-hmm. would spark an interesting conversation with that person and be able to get into their head than just starting from scratch and like, so, you know, what, these are always good, great questions too, but you know, what drove you to medicine and, you know, do you, how long have you lived, you know, wherever the areas that you are. But I think the research mm-hmm. component can make for a more meaningful conversation and experience. And then for people who are more shy, that at least would hopefully make them feel they have like a one up, like they're prepared. Um, exactly. No, that's key. I think, you know, as we both know, networking is absolutely crucial to making it to the next step. And, you know, it doesn't always matter how smart you are, what you even accomplish. It's a matter of who you know a lot of the times. I'm sure we'll talk about it later, but even applying for fellowship, there's uh, it's a lot of who you know and, you know, will get you to that next step. But kind of focusing back on medical school, I know you said you did essentially like a pipeline program, but what advice, I guess, would you give to people who are starting medical school in the beginning of their journey? Like, for example, I tend to tell people, you got to do questions. Like, I'm sure we all can echo that. Yeah. You got to do more questions. Stop reading. Do questions. So, like, are there some other tips and things that you kind of learned along the way that you would give people who are kind of on their journey right now? So, yes, I think when you do find your approach or your way, stick to mm-hmm. it. Until you find Mm. that it's not working for you anymore. So it's always going to be that trial period when you first start medical school that you're trying to, it's a different type of, it's a different type of environment just from like college and school, you know, okay, you have your homework, you have your this, it's like you can have a couple weeks before your next exam and it's on you to, if your classes are virtual, you know, watch those lectures prepare and do the work. And so it really falls a lot on the person. I Mm -hmm. feel like in medical school. So Some people have to figure out, am I a class person? Am I someone Mm -hmm. that watches my lectures online? Uh, Am I someone that can like, you know, stay up late and then study more and then just sleep a little bit later? Or do I, am I a morning person? So you find your strategy and you find what what works best and you stick to that. And if something is not working, you change. Like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the definition of insanity, just doing the same thing over expecting different results. If you you found (laughs) it work on your first couple of exams, it's probably time to try and (laughs) ask your friends who may be doing well. Don't be scared to do that, you know, because I think a lot of people try to suffer in silence in medical school Mm -hmm. and kind of put on, put on a face and deep down inside, everyone is probably struggling together, (laughs) but you can help each other. And there's some things that someone may do differently that if you picked up on that might work for you. So I was great at at doing this. And I feel like, again, this kind of went back to the whole DPMS crew that I started with, Mm -hmm. but we were great with figuring out what worked for us and knowing, Oh, 
Orgo is her thing. Like, I'm sorry, it's not Orgo. Micro is her thing. So I'm going to yeah. talk to her and figure out what she's doing that she's acing these micro exams. Or gross anatomy is this person's thing. So how are they doing this so well? What's their approach? And it works well. And you make friends that way, too. Uh, yeah, so one exactly. thing I did, too, in medical school, and then looking back, it was a lot of work. But I can honestly say I, I think this is partially why I did well. And, you know, oh, okay. All right. but I wrote out or typed out, I should say, the answers to all of the objectives for every lecture of medical school. Oh, that's smart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah and that. it yeah. might have gotten a little bit crazy and insane. And, of course, mind you, in a day there could be like five lectures. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that might be a lot of objectives. But I think is what really got me to make sure I was understanding what I needed to get from the lectures and not mm-hmm. getting bogged down in all the other extra fluff that, you know, could be a lot of in these mm-hmm. courses. Mm-hmm. So that worked like a charm for me. And I would type them out. And then before the test, I would read them over and read them over and read them over and do my questions. And that was literally my study strategy. And I started that off in DPMS and I literally did it up until the fourth year. And I think it worked really well for me. No, that's, that's actually incredible. That's actually solid advice. And I think, you know, what I hear you saying, which is absolutely key is, you know, reflecting every so often and making sure that you understand what's working, what's not. And then, like you said, changing, right. you know, immediately. If it's not working, change. You sound like a surgery resident. <laughs> you know, like this change if it ain't working. Right. And, then, and the you know, pitch in that position, turn your body. I don't know. Like, do- exactly, exactly. <laughs> if it's not working, don't keep doing the same thing. Um, you know, and I think another thing that's very interesting is this whole issue of comparison, right? Because I think... What I found in medical school is that not everybody surprisingly tells you the truth, right? They only right. tell you what they want you to know. It's like Instagram. People only post their successes, right? right? So it's like, don't compare yourself to people who, oh, yeah, I got a 98 and whole time. So, Dr. Stewart, yeah. you actually took my point that I was going to say for the advice for them residency portion of this conversation oh, oh, oh. <laughs> no we can circle back on that because that that's something that i deal with too in residency exactly. it's still it's relevant there it's i feel like it's yeah. more prevalent there and that's why yeah. it's so important so i literally that is the biggest advice for residency but yeah no we can definitely no yeah we'll we'll, we'll talk about that too. We, can, we can shift gears and you know i think something that you know we briefly talked about um, the other day is this whole issue surrounding step one, changing the past fail. And, you know, I have my opinions, you have yours and everybody feels differently. But what are your kind of general thoughts on that? And based on that, how do you think students can still, you know, kind of overcome and do well based on what you think? Oh, oh man, how about I don't help you with this one? But, <laughs> you know, back in my day, no. <laughs> so... I, I kind of have a little bit of a problem with that. I I feel like that is the one test or the one real strong factor that helps strategize and figure out in terms of specialties and what people yeah. are able to do, what specialties and how are you going to have things like derm and things like surgery and ortho. Yeah. How do you pick that now? I feel like it kind of muddies the water, muddles the water just a little bit. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It, I can't imagine what programs are going through now in terms of selection. And like, yeah. like you yeah. asked me, like, what, how to make a strong candidate? I mean, 
if you're just now looking at pass fail and a lot of the medical schools are even courses are pass fail. It's like, Mm -hmm. how do you know how well this person is actually able to obtain and understand this curriculum now? If like a fail is literally a 60 or something, you know, (laughs) the range of passes. I don't understand how it works, to be honest. Like I don't, (laughs) I personally have to do more research and figure out what's the, like what's a pass now? Is it the same numbers as before? They just don't show you the numbers, or like what is what is that kind of right? What does that mean? And then I and then to your other point is in terms of taking the stress off of people, I feel like it just changes it. <laughs> like the stress yeah. is now going to be on other things. Like do people now? Mm-hmm. You probably have to do or feel like you need to do more research if you are going for things like derm ortho and those, you know, really selective specialties, I feel Mm -hmm. like you're going to have to beef your resume up with more research Mm -hmm. opportunities. Mm -hmm. I feel like uh, just volunteering things that can kind of make you stand out and then at least get to the interview process and then take it from there and let your personality and everything shine through. But Mm -hmm. I feel like it just means more like, how do you decide who gets an interview now? Are you now interviewing more people in Mm-hmm. What are the cutoffs for these things? And then it, I just think it has a down effect that I don't know if yeah. we're going to see the effects of it in a few years. <laughs> I, I'd hope not, but. No, I agree. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I think, you know, for me, the two biggest issues that I see <clears throat> are um, one, that if you go to a smaller school or a non, you know, kind of, Ivy League, big name school that we kind of put a lot of attention on, wrongfully so, in medicine, Mm -hmm. then like you said, it gives people or strips them of that opportunity to study hard and get those numbers to get in the door. Yeah. And like you said, now they're going to have to supplement their application and maybe work a lot harder to find other things to get in the door. And then second, you know, I was thinking about it the other month, like if you don't study, right? If you think, oh, it's pass-fail, then, you know, Lord forbid you pass and then you try to go to step two exactly. and think you're going to do well. You can't do well on step two without having a foundation for step one. I'll- you can't. <laughs> I don't yeah. see how you can. Like, yes. and then, and that's what I'm saying. Like, if you're going in with the attitude that it is just pass-fail, how much are you really trying to fight to soak up as much of that knowledge as possible? Like, my first aid book looks like what you know what i'm saying like (laughs) you got mine too (laughs) right right i still have mine in fact you're the one that i remember you taught me like why why not use those resources and stuff still i'm trying to figure out in terms of antibiotics and and all that stuff those are the books exactly (laughs) but like you know are you really working that hard essentially anymore because you really just need to pass you know i feel like that that mentality that some people can take on could have detrimental effects further down the line. Like we're saying for step two, for, you know, everything else that comes after that. So I'm not a huge fan of it. And I feel like other things could have been done, like maybe shorter or Mm -hmm. maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, like take a little bit more stress off it in other ways. Like maybe it doesn't need to be an eight hour day. (laughs) Like, 
Maybe. Yeah, that exam is long. Step three is longer, too, but I don't even want to bring that oh up. My that gosh. Is, <laughs> it's I, a lot. There's a lot of issues with I the, not, I remember when I first found out it was two days. I was like, wait, what? I'm well, sorry? Yeah, it was. Uh, and then, you know, for us in surgery, going back to try to study, shout out to all the OB guides and internal meds. But listen, y'all can keep the knowledge. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. <no>. Right. <laughs> What is. Like so, fetal contraction, what? I don't know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But yeah, I agree with you 100%. It's, it's, we're going to see how it works out. Um, and then, you know, we'll talk about it a little later. But like the one thing that I always say, these exams don't go away. Like I think I really learned how to study through step one, like not classes. Like I think I really learned how to study for board exams and retain knowledge through step one and that grind. And I apply a lot of the ways I study personally, even for like our board, you know, in-service exam app site mm-hmm. stuff. You yep. know, it's like, it doesn't go away. So we'll we'll see how it turns out. Yeah. So let's see. I guess the next thing you, you mentioned earlier, you know, you were involved in SNMA, um, you know, heavily involved. I remember you having active positions and roles and, yeah. you know, can you talk just briefly about, you know, what SNMA is and, you know, how you were involved and how that kind of helped you along your journey? It's a powerful um, kind of organization, so definitely is worth mentioning. Oh, yes, for sure. Uh, so SNMA, Student National Medical Association, um, geared to minorities in medicine like ourselves and increasing our um, involvement in community service and mentorship and just providing us with the opportunities to really excel and uh, succeed in medical school. And like I said, I really think that part of my medical school experience and even afterwards (laughs) is Mm -hmm. in part due to SNMA, the, my mentors, uh, even the friends like yourself and others that I've Mm -hmm. met that are in different programs and different schools and different programs all around the country, essentially. Uh, I really just loved that bond and I loved Mm -hmm. what we stood for and just that black excellence. Like I'll never forget my first meeting and the graduating, you know, for all the graduating uh, fourth years, they had that huge ceremony and it's chilling seeing all of those Young, black, successful doctors going out into the world in so many different uh, cities and states and taking on, you know, responsibilities of being the new surgeons, the new OB-GYNs, new family medicine doctors. Like, it was chilling. And that's not something that you see every day, you know? And I remember when people look at me and say, wow, like, you're you're you're, you're a young black doctor. Like, that's, I've never met one of you yes. before, you know, and I'm thinking, a lot in itself. <laughs> right. I'm literally thinking in my head, like I can see about 500 plus in my head, you know, it's like, exactly, it's exactly. like just yeah. knowing, knowing all of that and knowing that it exists and we're out here, I think it's helped. And then, you know, going into NMA after mm-hmm. you're done with medical school, it's the bond continues, you know, I can still reach out to a lot of my mentors from SNMA follow them on social media, stick in, Mm -hmm. um, stay in touch and see what they're doing with their lives. So that continues on. And, you know, looking at job markets, I've heard people say, you know, even then, oh, I reached out to, you know, Dr. So-and-so from SNMA and actually thinking about working out there. And it's it's just amazing. Like the network is real. The support is real. Uh, Like I said, it's literally chilling when I think about just the community of SNMA and, 
I remember my so my line sister, she's actually um, a fourth year at PCOM, about to graduate. I'm nice. so proud. And I remember when I was in med school before her, and I would talk about SNMA, talk about SNMA, and that's what I would tell her. I was like, when you go like to PCOM, you know, you got to get involved, you got to get active yeah, yeah, in SNMA. Yeah. She was like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to do that. And she's, it just took off. And it just I felt like a proud, a proud sister. I'm like, exactly. she's so involved. And she was like, when I first started, they would be like, Oh, you're you're Shakira's line sister. Oh, you're Shakira. yeah. She told us we had to look out for you. Oh yeah, yeah, she told us that like you know to make sure you're doing this and doing that. And I was like, that that's what that is. You it's know what I'm saying? About. That's what like, all about. I yeah. put the word in. I told some people that from SNMA out there. I was like, hey, my line sister's starting. You know, I told her to get involved. If y'all could just look out for her, and that is literally what they did and took her in. Wow. And had, I remember from her. In her first year, she was just like, wow, this is what you were saying. This is real. This SNMA bond, this unity, like, I probably would not be getting through right now if it was not for some of my SNMA people. And I was like, that, that is why, <laughs> that exactly. is why you had to get involved. <laughs> no, I 100% agree. Like, SNMA, and it goes back to what we talked about with networking, was absolutely crucial. And just like you said, even being around other Black and underserved individuals who really want to contribute to medicine is you won't find that in many places. Mm. And, you know, I'm all about action items. So, you know, if you're here today, get involved in SNMA at your school. And I think, yes, you know, there's multiple ways Go to, to the get conference, involved. too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That'll, the annual that'll make you see why you have year. to be involved. Like Exactly. It's like every April. Yeah, it's like it, it's always Easter, um, Easter right? weekend. It's always exactly. the weekend of Easter. Yeah, in fact, I think I just talked talk to my line sister. I think it's going to actually be in Orlando this year. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is. So yeah. definitely do that, guys. And the earlier yeah. you go get your tickets, the cheaper, actually. So there are early bird yeah. tickets. So I would do that. Yeah, agree. Like, that's one thing we're both endorsing. And I think, you know, the last thing I'll say, and you may know more about this than me, is there's multiple ways to get involved. I think, you know, usually you have your chapter level at your school. Then your regional Region. level, which you usually get involved in, you know, at the conference, another reason to go. Mm-hmm. And then there's the national level, which is the next step up. So there's multiple ways to get involved. And, you know, that's one thing that I think we both are saying you got to do. There's yeah. No way around. And, and find your niche. If you're one that loves community service, you know, you can be a part yeah. of that portion of the organization. Yeah. If you more so like order and think you're great at being a secretary. So there's multiple positions too. So it's something I think for everyone, it looks great on your resume. I cannot tell you what a talking point that was for my interview. Like it was, oh, you're a regional director of SNMA or tell me more about that. And what did you do with SNMA? It was major. I think it was partially the Partially the biggest thing on my application aside from like step one scores and school and scores. So. No, those, that's actually, that's a huge position. And I'm sure people will bring it up even when you apply for jobs for um, fellowship and stuff, which kind of transitions mm-hmm. to the next question is, like you said, you're currently a, a resident at Carolina's Medical. Phenomenal program. And you're big, bad PGY4 now. <laughs> um, you know, so how has that been? We know surgery is difficult and you've been climbing the ladder very well, but How's your journey been so far? Wow. Yeah. Surgery, <laughs> surgery is, is <laughs> difficult. It is a difficult specialty, <laughs> but that is why I harp on the importance of choosing the right program for you. I Absolutely. not have chosen a better first choice yeah. for 
my residency. I think the climate and the culture of my program is just phenomenal. Like, I feel very well supported. I feel listened to. I feel like as much as with surgery, it's hard to, but I feel like my program maybe feels like my wellness matters. (laughs) (laughs) No, they do. Absolutely. uh, Wellness matters at Carolinas. And that's, that's kind of rare for a surgery program to actually care. Okay. On every fifth, if there's a, month with five weeks on that fifth Thursday, you know, it's our wellness day to really do doc, have doctor's appointments. And they want you to like literally say, Oh, I went to the dentist or I went to the doctor or I did this for myself. So I think that's great. Um, I love that we operate a ton. The case volume is just (laughs) insane. Volume over there. Yeah. Yes. For me, someone that wants to do trauma, critical care, acute care surgery Mm -hmm. could not have been at a better place. Uh, exactly. Because we do a lot of it, and I think we do it very well. Um, I actually mm-hmm. just got certified to be an ATLS instructor, Advanced Trauma Life Support. Oh, well, that's awesome. Congrats. Yeah, that was awesome. But because, again, one of my mentors, she's big on giving us experiences that overall will help us and uh, help build our resume. Really and awesome. So she literally yeah. set up an ATLS instructor course because she is um, wow. a, a director. Uh, so she was able to do that. And I think that's phenomenal. That helps me that helps me with my resume. That's exactly that's a plug for, you know, my future job. I can teach courses. So that's definitely something I'm going to look to hold on to. Um, so I think just in terms of picking the best program for you is just very crucial. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like it's a little bit tougher in this era with interviews being virtual yeah. and everything, which I do feel is pretty unfortunate and hoping this is the last year of it because uh, those know. Zoom calls can get pretty. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so, um, um, I do feel like hopefully people can still get a good vibe of the residents and how they at least feel about their program, even virtually. And if the, if not, I would consider that a red flag for a program. Yes, agreed, um, agreed. And still really trying to do those socials. I know we still do the social like the day before. It's all virtual still. Mm-hmm. We tell them grab dinner, mm-hmm. grab drinks, and eat, drink with us. But um, I still think that's important in this time because I think that's where you can really see. It's more so how they're interacting with each other. And now it's like you're not going to be there the next day to see them at Eminem or Grand Rounds or, you know, exactly. around each other at all. So I think I yeah, think that's important. Different. No, I, I agree. And, you know, again, I can echo that, you know, Carolina's Medical is a phenomenal program. I, I actually tell people to apply. A lot of people apply there as well in their, on their list. You guys have a phenomenal program. So if you want to do surgery, you need to apply there for sure. That's the, that's the plug you get from her. Yeah, okay. I guess I, we just we just weren't Yale, huh? Is that right? No, it's not that. You know, there's multiple, you know, Yale was, you know, Yale's my spot. Yale's my spot, you know, but, you know, but I can't deny. I love it for you. Carolina is amazing. Finding the program that is best for you. And I love it. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I will say now, what you post on Instagram, y'all got good food, though. I will say that. Oh, yeah. Our cash does not play. We get, we get meal points, so. I've never seen that. Y'all have like uh, crab legs and stuff. I'm like, what? Where do you do that at? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. No, but it's a great program. And, you know, like we said, you're you're a PGY4 now. And, you know, that's four out of five years for general surgery. So you're almost done. Um, 
So how has it been kind of being, you know, transitioning from a junior to a senior resident? And, you know, I'll, I'll preface this by saying when we use the term chief, it just means you're essentially running services by yourself in general surgery because that brings a lot of confusion when, you know, to internal medicine and right. teach, for example, where they have to apply to a yep. whole separate chief here. So chief is used differently for us. But how has it been being a senior resident, you know, compared to an intern sounds seems like yesterday. Wow, no, it definitely does seem like yesterday. And I will say this is this is a tough transition. <laughs> um, I'm Ooh, currently yeah. on PED surgery now, and so I'm the chief of PEDS, wow. and it's just me and me and an intern uh, on a busy wow. PEDS service. We don't have yeah. fellows in PEDS. We have oh, four yeah. PEDS attendings yeah. who operate a lot. <laughs> Um, and our, uh, their nurse practitioner is actually out on maternity leave. So it's <laughs> for my, <laughs> for, you both my work months, you. for both of my months. Wow. So I will say it's, it's different in the sense that when you're, you know, more of a junior, you just kind of know the flow, you know, what needs to happen, you know, what needs to get done, but it's not essentially on you to make sure mm-hmm. that the whole rest of the team is on the same page. You know, I feel like a lot of our junior rotations, we're pretty much in an apprenticeship type rotation where it's just like us mm-hmm. and the attending. So we're doing the notes, we're doing the orders, we're putting everything in, we know everything that's happening. And so mm-hmm. I find now, and this is my first real kind of chief rotation, it is very stressful having an intern. <laughs> yeah, you got to know what's going on at all like just this past week because you're in the OR and you're scrubbed and mm-hmm. we have this uh we have a halo service for um like nursing communication like essentially like our, our patient oh, yes mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. I'm hearing the halo go off but I know he signed on we're both signed <laughs> on the same thing so I'm like okay he's probably responding so I'm wondering like what 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 are they about what's what's going on? Exactly. And, and you know you don't see him come in the room and so I'm thinking like what's he up to and I'm like trying to focus exactly. on this like this like huge case and I'm like oh my gosh can he just come in the room and I like don't want to yeah. ask like the the <laughs> nurse to call him in the room and so it's stressful and so you know what needs to be done but you have to make sure they know and not only that but that they understand why you know and that's exactly. what I'm trying to do more teaching and wow, being like wow. not just saying all right so for example we had a kolidoko that came in was going to get an ERCP okay so mm-hmm. then I would repeat in the morning I would get their LFTs I would get their CBC I would mm-hmm. get their lipase for the morning but say there was another gob there was just a cholelithiasis and I saw that you know there were some orders in for the same kind of orders but yet again mm-hmm. I'm not really concerned about their LFTs because they're normal you know it's not mm-hmm. you know it's asymptomatic um, it's symptomatic cholelithiasis but it's not acute cholelithiasis you know the initial labs are normal so just thinking about well why would you get this lab why would you not get these labs and what are you thinking about thought process and t- yeah. yes what is your thought process so I'm finding mm-hmm. more now it's very helpful in telling them my thought process because I'm finding mm-hmm. out wow you are not you didn't know like you're you're an intern obviously you have to be taught this so someone had to yeah. teach you why you would get this lab and not that lab and why you may be concerned about this and this person patient versus yes this patient is coming in with something similar similar pathology but different sort of exactly. you know exactly. so I think that is very helpful and I think that way you can feel like you're teaching but also getting what you need to get done. And giving them things to talk to you about. I used to be like, this is so cheesy, you know, but being like, all right, tomorrow we're going to talk about, you know, the difference between acute cholecystitis, cholelithiasis, and cholelithocal and cholangitis. You know, we're just going to. And it helps you too. You know? (laughs) 
<laughs> exactly. Like, do I really know what I'm talking about or <laughs> or not? So we got to go over this again, you know, and, and it's it's funny because my next question was going to be like, what are some practical tips that you would have for being a chief that you learn? Like a couple I've heard is that, you know, people will review stuff the morning of before they go to the intern. Like, let's talk about this, you know, or they'll, you know what I mean? Or they'll have their, you know, like one of my chiefs uh, used to, regardless of the intern or the junior making the list, she would always make her own list with her own numbers every day, just so you can go over everything. So like, do you have any of those kind of practical chip uh, tips for chiefs? So I, I, I've not gotten to that that place of just being able to like come in and entrust them with the numbers and the yeah, head of it yeah. and all that. So I 100% agree with getting everything with them because then there are moments I'm like, oh, what did that repeat chest x-ray show? And I've been burned because it's like, oh, I actually did not. I was like, well, he was a post-op day one, you know, left lower lobe for a CPAM. Like, what? <laughs> we got to see what the chest x-ray shows, you know? Like, the, <laughs> like, like when your attending is going to look at you, Look at, they're not going to look at the intern and be like, why don't you know this, that, and the third? That's so true, though. Look at yeah. the chief. And so I've learned that the hard way more than, more mm-hmm. than more than one occasion. And so I think it's helpful, again, to me just get all the stuff, too, and then we talk about it. We say, okay, like, mm-hmm. the I's and O's, we're, you're a little bit concerned. Okay, this is a baby. It's like 0.6 cc's per kg. Okay, maybe an, an adult mm-hmm. half cc per kg is okay, but... These babies were trying to do more than one to two, you know? And I'm like, because I'm sitting with them and I'm learning like, oh, like what maintenance fluids do you want this kid on? Oh, I'm using MD calc. Oh, so four, four, two, one. Like, do you not remember that rule? Let's go over that. Exactly. Like little yeah, things like yeah, that, just yeah. watching how they go about things. And then also what I've learned is important, seeing what they want to get out of a rotation mm, with them like that's, yeah that is crucial because you'd be surprised what some some really want to get out of it and you know what is important to them i just really want to be able to do my first appy from start to finish okay we'll make we'll work you up to that you know what i'm saying like mm-hmm. i have a good learning system. Yeah. exactly i have a good system with um, one mm-hmm. of my attendings that i do it's like he likes to do um a single incision lap appies so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i'll do the whole mobilization aspect of things and um, get it at least up to the umbilicus so that then the intern will go and then just do basically an open appy at the at the umbilical site, oh, which is nice. awesome. So yeah. I get a cake for like mobilization of the cecum slash like, yeah. you know, lap, diagnostic lap. And then he exactly. gets an open appy, you know, yeah. so. Well, that's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, it's awesome. So just figuring out ways to include them. And like, especially in cases, an upper operating room, like, all right, I'm going to do this gallbladder, but I want you to scrub because then you'll take the gallbladder off the liver bed, you know, just exactly. giving them opportunities, seeing what they're expecting to get out of a service and rotation and really learn. And then remembering like, like it's hard. It, I, I, I thought I wouldn't forget, but it is kind of easy to forget how it yeah. really felt to be an intern and not really know, especially on yeah, for sure. you know, because it's different. It's also just different medicine from adult surgery so being like i don't know anything about how to deal with these babies and i'm personally terrified you know (laughs) exactly like why is the responsibility on me (laughs) so so that's definitely some things that i've learned and again this is this is the first real chief rotation but it is it's stressful like i said it's it's a lot of pressure (laughs) yeah it's amazing and you probably can echo this more than me uh since i'm on research years but like that, you know, that 
it feels like you have so much to learn and, you know, like intern year, you look at your chiefs and you're like, my gosh, like they are next level. Like, (laughs) how do you even do that? And then slowly but surely you look up and you're like, oh, I'm actually kind of doing this. Seriously, (laughs) every day, like this past year, I've thought that like, am I really a four? Like, okay. Exactly. Are we talking about application cycle? Like, stop. What? Oh. That is no, it's it's literally like flying by, and you know you mentioned before that you were choosing trauma um, trauma surgery as your fellowship. I mean, you know, unfortunately, you chose wrong and should have did cardiac. But we, oh. we've talked about this. But you know what? <laughs> I why did you do cardiac? Choose? I sold on the heart. It was great. <laughs> oh, see, I know. I loved it. It was great. I cracked but, you know, I do it all. Astronautomies, I'm here for it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you guys get a you guys get a wide breadth yes. of um, and that's why I love trauma, trauma because I I do it yeah. all. I literally I do vascular, do CT, I do wow. general. Like, what do you want? What do you need? Exactly. <laughs> and are you you're? I'm assuming you're gonna do, or I guess that's something you're probably thinking about is because you could do a trauma and then like a critical care fellowship. Yeah, which I guess most people do, or then some people just do like one year and then don't get the fellowship. Um, you have idea like what you want to do, kind of, or which route you want to go. Yeah, down? my program director, uh, he's trauma, and he recommended my past program director. He recommended two years, uh, doing mm-hmm. a two year program. Yeah. So Isn't I definitely it? am going to take that advice, and you know, I feel like you can't go wrong with more training. A lot of people are like, well, why would yeah. you do that? It's really just one year that you need to be, it's, and it's really the critical care yeah. aspect that you're getting board certified in. So trauma, exactly. you essentially, you don't need to do a fellowship for trauma, essentially. Um, exactly. Yeah, like you can just do trauma just straight out of general surgery residency. But uh, critical care is the aspect that you're getting certified in. And then, you know, it's great to see when you're looking at hospitals and programs and jobs, mm-hmm. they do obviously love someone that did do a fellowship in trauma, critical care, acute care surgery. Exactly. Um, so those are all pointers for points for doing an actual two year, which I'm looking to do. Um, and then that second year is like you were saying that like acute care surgery sort of year where you're pretty much like a junior attending essentially. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm running their like EGS service or whatever they call it at their, the hospital. No, that's awesome. And I think again, time is flying and, you know, got a couple more questions for you that we could wrap up is you brought up something very important earlier uh, that we wanted to touch on again with kind of this issue of comparison and, you know, kind of how that affects and how that may be a little bit different in residency um, yes. what's, what's kind of your opinion on that and how to kind of deal with that? Cause it's a big issue. Like I deal with it too. I'm not even going to try to lie. Yeah. It's, uh, no, seriously. It's- like, um, people, people will, um, gaslight for sure. They'll say, you know, yeah, oh, I yeah. did 90% of this case, this attending. Mm-hmm. And you know, he was barely in the room and, <laughs> <laughs> and you're looking and you're like, wow, that attending, like, Barely lets me close skin, you know? So you're exactly, like, well, exactly. What's wrong with me? Like, it's, it's, it's and then you'll, like, talk to the, the scrub tech or you'll start getting close as you're getting up with, like, you know, the different scrub scrub techs and nurses. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, no, that 
no, that, yeah, no. that doesn't happen in the way that you think that happens or exactly. you know, he barely did X, Y, Z. So it's just interesting that you can really get bogged down in what people are saying. And we, yeah. as surgeons in general, we know how to sound very confident. Like we, we, oh my gosh. we yeah, it's like very much know how to kind of demand the room and sound confident and say, exactly. you know, this is what this is and this is what I did. So we sound very believable and very convincing. Exactly. And you exactly. just can't, you can't compare yourself to people. You cannot sit here because everybody's journey is different. Like everyone's journey is different. You could be in the same class, but your journeys are different and they might be better at this one aspect of things, but then you can be better at a whole another aspect of things that you're, they're just not talking about. And you don't Mm -hmm. know that they could be wishing they were like you with, you know? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I say all that to say is that really just making sure focusing on you and Telling yourself, are you better than you were yesterday? And that's all that really matters is are you growing? Are you learning? Are you maturing? Are you getting better each day on your ways to becoming a surgeon? Not did you do more than them? Like that that will drive you that will drive you crazy. It can cause people to be depressed. It can cause so a lot of self-doubt. And I'm saying this because I know and I've experienced it. So yeah, when you take all true. of that out of your head and you just get out of your own way with that, you'd be surprised. And you look back and you say, wow, I wasn't able to do um, that laparoscopic sigmoid um, mobilization yeah. last year. But look at me now. Like, <laughs> exactly. Great, you know, and it's like, so your own growth is what really matters, <laughs> not the comparison of you to others. Because you're here. You deserve to be here. You did what it had to take to be here and you can't let yourself forget that. And so this is all, the rest of this is all about that learning process. And you bring up such a good point. And I guess this is more so for like the interns and juniors is it's kind of the same for like step where, you know, everybody jumps at different times. Mm -hmm. And sometimes like you even said, some people you can jump a little bit higher. Yep. You know, like there's people I've seen and even heard where, you know, they've done average or they've done okay, like junior year. And then when they come back for chief year or they come as a senior, it's a whole nother ballgame. Yep. Like, you know, they turn it around 180 and they're killing it. Yep. So it's like, like you said, you can't compare and they're like, oh my gosh, they're killing it intern year. Like everybody loves them. They're blah, 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 blah. And occasionally I would say you have those like, very rare, but you have those people who are like not savants, but like people who are like next, next, next yeah. level. Yeah, but absolutely. Normally, it's like you know, people <laughs> are average people, and yep. you know, you can't compare yourself. Everybody jumps at different times. So, agreed. Yeah, my partner used to say, you know, it seems like no matter how people kind of start off in the program, by the chief year, everyone is pretty much at the same place. Like, exactly. like exactly. at the end of the day, like it's, it's a marathon. Like it's not a sprint. You know, you got to pace yourself. You don't want to burn out. You want to do what you exactly. can and learn as much as you can. And just, if you focus on that aspect and then you'll look around and be like, Oh wow, I'm here too. And so are they, and we're both applying to fellowships and we're both getting exactly. interviews and we're both going somewhere. It's just like medical school all over again. Like exactly. it's, it's going to happen. Oh. You're going to, you're going to go to the fellowship that is meant for you. I'm going to go to the fellowship that is meant for me. You know, it's. Exactly. All no, gonna yeah. We're all going to make it at the end of the day. Yep. Um, all right. So two quick rapid fire questions. And then one last one is what's your favorite case? And then what's the most annoying consult for you? Ooh. Okay. 
Um, so we do this a lot at my hospital, and I don't think we yeah. a lot of places do this, but I actually love a good rib plating case. I knew like, you were going to say that. I literally, <laughs> I literally knew you were going to say like, rib plating. <laughs> I love rib plating. Like, it's good just case. something about being in the chest, you know, the lungs down, and you wow, look at it. Wow, it sounds like a... Uh, hmm. You know, yeah, it does, right? I know, but, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's it's just something about seeing that CT scan when they first get in and be like, "Ooh, those yes. are some bad ribs," and then you exactly. get in there and you see them, and then we use a couple of different plating systems, but you know, each of them are great. Advantage is one of my favorites, and then you fix those ribs, and they're nice yeah. and straight yeah. and in line with each other, yeah. and. You get a re- you know you get a repeat X-ray afterwards, and you're like, wow, that's beautiful. Exactly. And their pain is better. We also do cryoablation at that time, so oh, nice, it helps nice. with pain control, and yeah. the rib fixation helps, and can get these people out. You know that come in and really with really bad flail chests that are in the ICU, get them out the ICU, get them breathing better, get them extubated. Exactly. So I think it's a really great case for the appropriate patient because sometimes we can, you know. Some people can replay it and you wonder, oh, okay, like, would they have done well either way? But I think for the real legit cases and the concerning ones, it's definitely a lot of fun to to play ribs. Exactly. Oh, no, I was going to answer your second part with the least favorite. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I do not like getting consulted for, like, questionable hemorrhoids versus rectal prolapse versus like any any of that i do not (laughs) like that because half of the time it's it's neither it's none it's none of the above yeah (laughs) or then other times you just get placed in some really awkward and bad situations it's like yeah, it might be a hemorrhoid, but, you know, it's not thrombosed and there's nothing exactly. really new. You can just put some hemorrhoid cream on it. Like, what do you really want me to do? With this? You know, so those are probably my least favorite concepts. You know, I think for me, even though I repeat, we have to see this consult and I'm more than happy to see the consult. But I think the number of times I get consulted for negative neck fat. Oh, my like, gosh. That's a good one. You know, yeah, but we have to do. We have to see it. You got to rule it out. I get it. So it's like you know, we got it. We got. You to have it. to see it's it. A too. That's a thing. It's yeah, like yeah, it's a lot of those people calling, but that those are probably my uh, top ones. But uh, the last question I got for you is, you know, how do you stay balanced, and you know, how is living in Charlotte? Because I know you do a lot of extracurricular activities and try to, you know, really stay balanced and. Uh, you know, kind of be well. So what are some of the things you do and how Charlotte? Yeah. So uh, Charlotte has definitely grown on me. This is the smallest city I've lived in. So mm-hmm. it was initially a little rough because coming from New York and living in Atlanta and DC, Philly, you mm-hmm. get the point, big, big cities. Um, so first I was like, wow, this is uh this is different. But uh, I will say since I started, I definitely got back into my first love and passion, which is dance. Nice. Uh, I used to dance literally like six days out the week when I was younger. I'm talking like from age five to literally going away to college where I did Spelman Dance Theater. So I've been dancing my whole life, mm-hmm. uh, but definitely in med school on that basically halted. And so I started going, one of my closest, closest friends who now moved to Texas. She's a whole attending now uh, in emergency medicine. Yep. Yep. But she was a dancer as well, or is a dancer as well. And so we would go to classes at a Charlotte NC dance studio, which I love everything from 
hip hop classes to heels classes. There's been some um, ballet classes that they've had and modern classes. And so I really, really find that dancing just really makes me just forget about residency, forget about all the stress and things that I really probably need to be doing, probably aside from dancing. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's good for me. It's a it's fitness, and I love doing it. So. I definitely am glad. I, in fact, I was trying to see when I can get to a dance class again, because uh, it's about that time. But then I also love just going out to eat, like just going out you to eat in the place. city. There's some great restaurants. Yeah, yeah. It's so interesting. Yep, there's some great restaurants out here in Charlotte that I love to visit, so. No, that's good. I think, you know. If I could cook as well as you, then I, I probably wouldn't go out to eat, but I can't. So <laughs> the food that you cook, I go out and buy. <laughs> all about balance <laughs> no but no thank you for that i uh i appreciate it and you know thank you for coming on to talk you know for this podcast like you definitely dropped some gems and you know it was a pleasure so thanks for uh thanks for coming on so i appreciate of course. you thanks for having me the black doctors podcast is a non-profit volunteer passion project with the goal of inspiring all who listen if you enjoy listening tell a friend about the show or share a link on social media we are a small team and can use all the help we can get. You can reach us at the Black Doctors Podcast on Instagram or at Stephen Bradley MD on Twitter or Instagram. Tune in next week for another episode of the Black Doctors Podcast because representation matters. <laughs>